we kind of tried to help get her ready for what was about to come. At the same time, internally, I'm screaming because this is possibly the worst patient I could have had that night. Welcome to the Lamp Podcast, where we are shining a light on the stories of caregivers. Whispers of heavenly death murmured, I hear. Labial gossip of night, sibilant corals, footsteps gently ascending, mystical breezes wafted soft and low. Ripples of unseen rivers, tides of a current flowing, forever flowing, or is it the plashing of tears, the measureless waters of human tears? I see just skyward, great cloud masses. Mournfully, slowly they roll, silently swelling and mixing, with at times a half-dim, saddened, far-off star, appearing and disappearing. Some parturition, rather, some solemn, immortal birth, on the frontiers to eyes impenetrable, some soul is passing over. Welcome back to the LAMP podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Labrie, and here we are in week five of stay-at-home orders in California. I think week five, right? Um, I haven't been working that much and neither has my husband. Well, he's kind of working every day, but less hours. Um, he and I both don't work in the emergency room or inpatient hospital units. So a lot of our work has been rescheduled or put off, um, in the face of this situation. This means we have a lot of time at home and sometimes that's good and sometimes it's a difficult day to get through. Um, I'm sure you, if you go on the internet, you can see everybody is trying to figure out how to manage their time at home and how to deal with the situation that none of us have experience with. Okay, I don't know if this is the same for everyone else, but I find that all this time at home, in between the working out or the baking bread or the watching Netflix... I have a lot of time to think about things or feel my feelings, and some of them are familiar. I kind of start to reflect on other times where I felt uncertainty about the future or anxiety about financial situations or grief or frustration with the things that I cannot do every day. I think that humans often naturally make parallels between times where they experience similar emotions. And these parallels, I think, can exacerbate the difficulties of the current situation, or it can lead to some kind of clarity and growth, especially if you have a little help from a therapist. Creating parallels and making sense of difficulty seems to be embedded in the human mind. I mean, isn't that most of our relationship with art? Whether that leads to resilience and positive growth depends. Working as a caregiver, I've had extremely difficult moments in caregiving 
that are different in and of themselves, but also paralleled my own earlier life difficulties. Things I thought I had dealt with or had moved on from came creeping back in complex patient care situations. In fact, today I usually tell my student nurses or new nurses that they need to look out for this. Some of our greatest difficulties in our life resurface in our work and our unresolved pain or trauma can show up in our patient experiences through situations that mirror our own experience. One example of this is when my mother-in-law had passed away after being diagnosed with cancer, um, going through treatment, and eventually going home on hospice. On this occasion, I found myself in a patient's room who was preparing for surgery, the same surgery that my mother-in-law had for esophageal cancer, and I remember talking to my patient about it, and I was tearing up and realizing that I was not there for my patient, and I did not want to be there. I was suddenly thinking about how sad I was and thinking, I don't want to do this anymore. The this was cancer. I had been working in oncology for about 13 years by then, and I just didn't want to talk to any more cancer patients. Obviously, I had to finish that day, but it was a moment in which I stepped back from oncology and went into teaching. Today, we have a story from Jerry about the intersection of the personal and the professional. Jerry is a nurse of 20 years who currently works in hospice. Here's her story. All right. Um, so my story is from 2003. Uh, it was my first year of marriage. At that point, I'd been a nurse for three years. And so there was a lot of change going on. My husband and I had already made plans to move out of state. I'm originally from New York and we were moving out to the West Coast. But we decided that we were going to try and maybe have our first child before moving, just so that the grandparents could sort of have that initial bonding time. And also at the same period of time, um, I had done my three years of med surg, medical surgical nursing, which back then, you were kind of told that there was no other option but to start through med surg. Thankfully, that's not the case anymore. You can come out of nursing school and pretty much go into whatever specialty you'd like. But back then, it was pretty much you either went into a nursing home to work or a medical surgical unit. So I figured three years was enough time in that area, and I wanted to try my hand at labor and delivery because my ultimate goal at that point was to become a midwife. So I got my labor and delivery job and, <clears throat> excuse me, it's now the summer and we are making plans to have our first baby. Just by coincidence, my doctor was also affiliated with the hospital that I was working at. Very busy labor and delivery unit. And I want to say two or three months into the position, I was tag to be charge nurse, which pretty much ended up with me being charge nurse every night that I worked, which was fine. I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed working with laboring parents. 
I enjoyed the whole process. And so probably this is end of August going into September, show up for work. I'm in the locker room changing and my doctor walks in. And so, you know, we're exchanging small talk. And she just happened to ask me how I was doing because I guess she sensed that I wasn't feeling too well. And so I started explaining to her that um, my time of the month had just started and it was really bad. And I remember like just absentmindedly explaining the symptoms that I was having, a lot of back pain. And then I realized that she hadn't really said much. So I stopped to kind of look and make sure I wasn't talking to myself. And I realized that she's now coming closer to me. And she grabs my hand and she says to me, you know, be more specific. So I told her everything that was going on. And she immediately says to me, I want you to go home and I'll speak to the unit manager. And I want you to come into my office first thing in the morning. And up until that moment, I don't think I really knew what she was really saying until she told me to go home and then it hit me that she had she was assuming that I was having a miscarriage it like I said that thought didn't enter my mind until that moment so I did what I was told I went home first thing in the morning I went to her office with my husband did all the tests kind of confirmed what we had realized the night before and you know of course they give you the encouraging conversation, assuring me that, you know, this is a good thing. We know that you can have children now and basically encouraging me and assuring me that this didn't mean that it would never happen. And then she tells me that I, you know, I should stay home for a couple of days and not just for my body, but for my mind to get my head right. But I'm a nurse. So what do nurses do? I think I stayed home for one night and I went back into work. Like I said, very busy labor and delivery unit. I already knew that we were short staffed, especially at night. So I went in and I come in that night and of course it's busy. We're short staffed. So the daytime charge nurse says to me that um, you're gonna have to take a patient. Normally if you're a charge nurse, on that unit, they wanted you to not take a patient so that you could be available as a resource to the entire unit. But if you're short staffed, you take a patient. No problem. So she tells me, um, you should go ahead and take the patient in room 11 because that's not going to be anything intensive. So take that patient and you should be freed up fairly quickly. Fine. So. I get the unit squared away. I go down the hall to meet my patient, figure out what's going on. And without giving too much information, very young mom, and she's in basically in premature labor. I don't recall the exact number of weeks, but it was young enough where this child was not going to survive. Unfortunately, she didn't realize what was about to happen. Thankfully, her mom showed up, and between the nurses, the doctor, her mom, we kind of tried to help get her ready for what was about to come. 
at the same time, internally, I'm screaming because this is possibly the worst patient I could have had that night. And thinking back now, I could have asked one of my coworkers to take this patient. Any one of them would have gladly switched with me or handled the hands-on. All I would have had to do is explain to them that this night of all nights, I really can't handle this. But instead, I sucked it up. Again, that's what nurses do. And I said, you know, I'll take care of her. I'll be fine. And so we start the process of preparing her for what's going to take place once the child is born. And there's a whole checklist of things that we do, which up until that moment was basically just a checklist of, do you want a chaplain here? Do you want the child baptized? Do you have a name for this child? And, you know, I'm almost ashamed to say that up until that moment, I don't think I had realized how, I don't want to say cold, but how matter of fact we tend to be in certain aspects of patient care. But this night with every question I had to ask her, and I'm watching her face realizing what we're telling her, your baby's not going to make it. And so we need you to be prepared and we need you to tell us what you need from us to expedite the process, basically. So <clears throat> she started to get a little um, more somber. The child's father arrives and, you know, now we're trying to explain to him what's going on. And then not too long after that, she said she felt an urge to push. And so we helped her deliver beautiful little baby boy. We did whatever we had to do as quickly as possible so that she could now hold her son and bond with him. This is the one story that always, like I can hear the sounds, I can see the faces as if it happened just yesterday. I have goosebumps as I'm telling the story. This is from like 17 years ago and I, I'm like seeing this as I'm telling you the story. Um, so we hand her the baby and her and the child's father are you know, sitting on the bed and they're crying and they're holding him. And her mother had the strength and the presence of mind to tell her, you know, you have to give him a name. And once they decided that they were gonna name him after his father, he explained to them like no one else will ever have this name. He is a part of this family forever and no one will ever take his place. And the chaplain comes in, says a beautiful prayer and we all join in with them. And then we left them alone for a little bit to give them time to you know, hold him and sort of say their goodbyes. And I have to say the little guy lasted a good hour which we didn't expect to happen at all and so they held him as he took his last breaths and they spent a little bit more time with him and then once she told us she was ready to give him to us we you know asked her if she wanted a lock of his hair we prepared a beautiful little kit for her to take home with his footprints we were able to take a picture of him so we took care of all of that <clears throat> and I took the little boy 
into the back room. And I think at that point, I was finally, I finally gave myself the permission to grieve, not only for, you know, having witnessed this woman lose her first son, her firstborn, and also maybe a little selfishly, um, mourn the loss of my own little one. And so I did have a good cry in that back room holding this little boy. And then once I composed myself, I went back into her room and I sat down with her. And she told me about the pregnancy and all the plans that she had. And, you know, I assured her that while no one will ever take this little one's place, you're young and you will have the opportunity to have many others, as many as you want to. But I know that no other child will take the place of this one. And we kind of just sat in silence for a little while together. And then I told her, okay, I'll leave you alone. Let you gather yourself and we'll figure out if to, um, where to transfer you so that you're not in the middle of this unit where you're hearing babies being born and crying and all these things. And just before I leave the room, she grabs my hand again and she thanks me for being there for her and for helping her and her boyfriend through this and for being so kind to her son. I don't think I'll ever forget that night or this story because number one, a couple of things happened for me that night. First thing was, I think that was the first time that I realized as empathetic and as caring and comforting as we might think we are, we sometimes need to experience what our patients go through so that we can really give them that authentic comfort that they need. So that night, the checklists and the things that had to be done took a shift for me because I was able to be present in that moment. I was able to figure out what could wait till later, what needed to be done right away, and then how could I manage all that so that I could still be present in that moment for mommy, for the whole family, and for this little boy. And another thing I learned from that, although I'm still learning that, I'm a work in progress, I learned that we sometimes need that time for ourselves. Not sometimes, we definitely need that time for ourselves. We have to make sure we as caregivers, as nurses, are whole because we can't pour from an empty cup. I, I believe I did the best I could for them that night and she and her mother thanked me so many times, you know, for being so kind and so patient with them. And they felt like, you know, no other patient was on the unit because I was so present. But I do feel that perhaps that wasn't the best thing for me to do that night. Perhaps I, it would have been better for me to stay home a couple of days. And lastly, that's one, this story is one of, one of many moments in my nursing career that remind me of what a beautiful profession this is because not only are we on the scientific side, the technological side, the advances in healthcare that we practice are awesome, that's great. But we also get that one-on-one, -on -one, the nurturing side 
the personal contact side that not every other healthcare provider has the time or ability to give. So nursing is that beautiful balance between those two worlds. And that was one of the moments that reminds me of that, that because we're able to have those touching emotional moments to connect with our patients, we give them that other aspect that a pill or a blood drawer can't always remedy. I believe I was where I was supposed to be that night because had I been home, I more than likely would have either been out with my husband because once everyone in my family was aware, well, not everyone, but you know, our parents were aware of what had happened to me, it became a lot of well-intentioned distractions. Like, let's go for a walk. Let's go to the movie. Like people like, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want something to eat? Like to make sure there was no moment of silence. Because I think they were afraid that if, you know, we sat quietly for too long, I would burst into tears. So that's actually one of the reasons why I was, you know, other than the staffing issue, that was one of the reasons why I said, let me just go back to work. Because it was like, you could sense the tension in every room that I walked into in that house, because everybody was almost afraid to sit too quietly with me. Um, so I think being at work that night, from my perspective, it allowed me that moment to really process because it was so, I didn't even know I was pregnant. So it's not like I had gotten to that moment where I knew I was pregnant and now I've lost this child. So I almost had told myself, it's not a big deal. You didn't even know you were pregnant, move on. And I didn't even realize how affected I really was by it until I was holding that child in my arms and I felt myself starting to cry. So in many ways, I feel like that's, I was where I was supposed to be. It helped me with my own healing. And again, it also connected me, I think that much more to my patient because it's one thing to be, um, it's one thing to, to feel bad for a patient or want to help them. It's another thing when you can really say, like, I know exactly how you feel in this moment. I went through the same thing, and I'm going to help you out as much as I can. I'm going to do for you what I think would have helped me, and we'll go from there. So I, I really think I was where I should have been. It helped me. It helped me process for myself. And, and I think I, you know, I did help her out, even though, like I said, I feel that I may not have been the 100% that she needed, but I think I did provide some sort of comfort for her. The next couple of months were rough, I'll be honest. Um, I had a couple of moments, especially the first, I want to say month. I did have a difficult time with, I could deal with the technicals of it. I could handle, you know, helping mommy labor and the delivery and taking care of all the things that need to be done. But once it got to that moment of, you know, watching the mother and father bond with that baby, I did have moments where it was a little overwhelming for me emotionally because I would think about my own situation. It did get better over time, but the first month or so, it was very, very difficult sometimes to really um, watch my patients enjoy those first couple of moments. I'll be totally transparent and say I even had some moments of a little bit of anger kind of well up inside of me that I was able to like push down because 
I felt horrible for feeling that way. Like these people are in the best moment of their life. And who am I to be upset while they're so happy? But, you know, it's all part of your processing your own situations. Like if I could go back in time, I definitely, definitely would have done things differently. I probably would have taken some time off. I would have, you know, gotten some therapy, but again, nurses. So I just powered through, but it was difficult. The first month or two were very hard. And then eventually I was able to get back into that pure joy of watching a child being born. Thank you so much to Jerry for sharing her story. Jerry is a board certified nurse with over 20 years of nursing experience, a native New Yorker. She holds a master's degree in nursing administration and currently works in hospice. Jerry can be found on Instagram at who is nursing the nurses. The poem at the beginning of this episode was Whispers of Heavenly Death by Walt Whitman. Walt Whitman published that poem in 1868 and later included it in the second edition of Leaves of Grass. Walt Whitman was no stranger to death. In 1862, he left Virginia to where his brother had been injured during the Civil War and spent the next four to five years visiting hospitals, sitting with soldiers, and writing letters to their families. He was profoundly touched by sickness and suffering. You can find that poem in the show notes, along with more information about where to find Jerry. Thanks again for listening to The Lamp Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at thelamp.podcast, Twitter at lamppodcast. And if you have a story that you think needs to be told about being a caregiver, head over to thelamp.blueberry.net. That's thelamp.blubrry.net. And on the About page, there's a form where you can submit your idea. Thanks again to Tara Ellis for the song Be As A Lamp. You can find her on Spotify and SoundCloud. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Do they